Hey everybody, Chad Vermeister, CEO of ScaleX.ai and the AI for Sales Expert on the Sales Experts channel. I've got uh, probably the, the most, uh, what do I say, the coolest guest that I've had all year. So Ryan Reisert is the former CEO of the SDR developers and the current sales director at Connect and Sell. So works for a company that's very close to my heart. Ryan, welcome to the show. Well, I'm, I'm excited to be here, Chad. Thanks for having me. Uh, and it's the sales developers, just in case. I knew I was going to mix that up. So <laughs> the sales developers. And I do have the t-shirt uh, that I wore on a cruise with me when, when we were still able to go on cruise ships at the end of last summer. So. Uh, oh, yes. I forgot about that. It was awesome. <laughs> the sales developers, the sales developers. There we go. All right. So what we're going to talk about today, I'm going to have to give a shout out to MJ Schutte who is my former VP from Riverbed Technology, separate yourself from everyone else and be the CEO of your own territory. So we're going to get into that here in a moment. Uh, before we do, if this is your first Sales Experts channel webinar, there will be links underneath the presentation today. You'll be able to find the LinkedIn URL to reach Ryan. You'll also have a few downloads that you can get there. And uh, I encourage you to do that. So let's get started. This will also broadcast on the AI for Sales podcast. All right, let's go. What's changed since December 31st, 2019? Doesn't that seem like forever and a day ago? Um, honestly, it's, it seems like a decade ago. Because, no. <laughs> uh, you know, at the beginning of the year, you know, moving into the new decade, we're so excited. You know, it's like New Year's, new decade, all these great opportunities sitting in front of us. And man, it started pretty strong, right? 2020 was looking great. The, you know, the rise of uh, the modern sales process and technology seem to be coming together. Um, and, you know, first part of January, looking great. And all of a sudden, bam, right? We all got hit with this, this COVID thing. Um, and of course, that COVID thing at first wasn't, you know, people didn't know. And all of a sudden it was, holy cow, what's going to happen? And well, there's been a whole lot of other things behind that. What is that? Like killer wasps, uh, aliens are real. And now we're, um, you know, we're uh, protesting a, a big cause in our country in the U.S. So a lot of things happening. It yeah. seems like each one of those were another year. Would we just advance another half a decade? Chad? You know, I think what you nailed in there, amongst all of the planes, trains, and automobiles, all the craziness going on in the world, sales and marketing is now coming together more than ever. Um, I think that line, right, with this new role of revenue operations that sits over sales operations and marketing operations, I'm seeing that there's finally a time and a place where sales and marketing can actually be on the same page, right? Have you, have you seen that trend from, a, from your perspective? Yeah, I mean, we're absolutely starting to see that. More and more conversations around the things that if you've been in the space where you've worked with a strong marketing team and you're in sales and you're in lockstep is like, Hey, no, duh. But a lot of companies weren't really communicating well, right? You've got marketing doing their own thing, sales doing their own thing. You got this mismatch of messaging going into the market. But when all this stuff hit, it was almost like, Whoa, all this automation, all this other stuff that's not maybe relevant. Like let's sit back and think about our go to market. You know, are we targeting the right people? Are we saying the right things? What are we saying? right? Is it okay for us to do the things we're doing? Uh, should we be spamming the heck out of someone's inbox? Or 
is there another way to do things? And I think uh, the uh, crisis and all the things we've gone through has really, really helped, um, you know, take a look at these weapons of mass engagement and start to figure out, well, how do we, how do we leverage that in a way that's not kind of this all you can eat buffet and, you know, hopefully I find something that, 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 that gives me some nutri nutrients here into, all right, well, there's, there's a way to do this target message channel timing. And, um, that timing thing was huge. Like, well, are we delivering the right message to the right people at the right time? And because it's a crisis, you're really thinking about that. But historically up until this point, it kind of forgot about that. It's like, yeah, whatever, let's just go. So I definitely seen that. And, um, you know, that rise of revenue ops, as you said, is starting to put some more structure communications increasing across teams. And we're really starting to think about, uh, especially as, you know, resources become tighter, um, ensuring that we're actually um, optimizing and performing in a way that, that makes, uh, makes sense uh, for a business, right? That, yeah, that, that's, I, uh, I love it. That's a you big know, piece of that. One of the things I'm seeing, in fact, I'm speaking at an upcoming webinar on this topic, is that, uh, you know, this women in sales, there's a new one called Women in Revenue that's led by Tracy Eiler from Inside View. And high five, kudos, right? I love to see that. Um, I think this market actually encourages women in sales in a big way. And, and the reason I say that is because if you give a, you know, entry-level college graduate, not, when I got out of college from Colorado State, I was playing lacrosse and I was a competitive person. And if I found that I could spam the TAM, as you said, this was 15 years ago, you know, Jerry Goldman made his quota 26 quarters in a row, never missed a president's club. And it's because he spammed his TAM. Well, back then, nobody was spamming their TAM. They didn't even know what TAM meant. So right. he was ahead of the curve, but it's now caught to a point where everyone, everyone's getting blasted all day, every day. So what I think with, when I bring up women in sales at the front end of this, because you need to have a high EQ to write really good emails that are to the right person, right time, right place. And so, uh, you know, I think there's certain individuals, probably yourself, maybe Chris Beal and a few others who could write an empathetic message. Uh, but I think my, I'd vote on my wife more so than myself. <laughs> oh no, I'm I'm a terrible I'm I'm a terrible terrible at, at that. I leave I leave that to someone else who's a little bit better writer. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and that's but, exactly uh, the point, right? We yep. should be the people who are good having phone conversations and connecting on the telephone should be doing more of that. And mm -hmm. people who are really good at writing empathetic messages, aligning it to the right person at the right place, right time, right channel, should be doing that part of the business. Mm -hmm. um, so, all right, let's, let's dig in a little further. Peacetime CEO versus wartime CEO. I think that was in a, a very good book that came out some, some time ago. And we're seeing a lot of people need to take on the wartime CEO role. What does that mean to you? Well, it's taking this back to the, the topic, right? Because we're thinking about, you know, as a salesperson, becoming your own CEO. And um, that, that, that uh, mindset is strong in, in, a, in a peacetime right? You should have that mindset of, of owning your own territory and owning your own success and, um, you know, being the CEO of, of your book of business, if you will. Um, and so if we think about that mindset and the difference between a wartime CEO and a peacetime CEO is we've got to be able to feel comfortable taking more risks and really putting ourselves out there and not worrying about, um, you know, what others maybe have opinions about or think about, um, you know, if we, if we are in a wartime crisis, uh, nothing else matters, right? It's make or break. You know, if you're a salesperson, 
you've got to be able to obviously do things the right way, but uh, find ways to get out there, break through the noise and be comfortable, not necessarily uh, uh, having everyone's buy off on, on maybe your ability to, to do the things you need to do. Um, and that, that just means taking risk and like, you know, targeting people that, uh, you're afraid to target, you know, to, um, you know, come up with creative ideas that may make a significant change that before you might've been worried about bringing up and um, finding ways to get interested parties to come to the table and exchange money, uh, and, you know, in exchange for your product or services, right? So in the wartime, you've got to take those risks and not worry about what other people think versus that peacetime still want to own your stuff, but, uh, maybe you're a little bit more, you know, working with folks and, and, and adhering to some of those, um, you know, rules of engagement, if you will. Yeah. Got it. Be more aggressive. Um, I, I've certainly lived that and <clears throat> there's been a lot of, a lot of changes that have happened in the last three to four months here. Um, okay. AI, this is an interesting topic, right? How do you define AI? Artificial intelligence, automated intelligence. Um, I happen to put a pretty big circle around the term AI because I think we're so early stage in the, the use of AI. Um, I just bought one of these Garmin watches. And at the end of the day, it says, hey, you did 7,000 steps. Congrats, you beat your goal of 5,500. And I was like, wait, I never set a goal of 5,500. <laughs> so, so, you know, the AI is programmed to continually move me up a notch. Uh, and I think it's going to be interesting. The, the keynote speaker, Pam Didner, who was the keynote at B2BMX in February of this year, she said, we need to be cautious of who wears the pants in the AI family. <laughs> right? mm -hmm. So I think there's augmentation and then there's replacement. And, and I think for the foreseeable future, AI is really an augmentation play. How do I get better information faster so that I can be more relevant to my customer? So, you know, thinking about it in an augmentation sort of a way, do you see places where either at your former company or at your current company where you're leveraging AI? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it's kind of a softball question uh, with, with Connect and Sell. I mean, on an augmentation perspective, I mean, that's what we're, you know, we're all about, right? The, the idea is when we think about AI and sales, uh, you want to leverage technology, automation, augmentation, if that's, these are all the, uh, the letters we're going to use here. Um, to eliminate all the waste and unnecessary manual tasks and you know mindless repeat activities that we're doing that are not actually selling. You know, we as professional salespeople, selling begins with a conversation. I think most people can agree with that. Maybe, maybe, I maybe think they most don't, people are converging on that. Even if you're an anti cold caller, you still converge on that. Well, you, <laughs> yeah. you know, you, you still have to have a conversation at some point and you know, all of your ads and emails and, you know, networking, uh, through, uh, webinars and events, you know, things like that lead to at some point a conversation with you and I sitting across either a table or uh, now a Zoom, you know, and at that point, the conversation starts. So what can we do uh, with augmentation, automation, uh, you know, actual artificial intelligence to eliminate all of that manual, tedious, laborious, you know, stuff that historically is required, right? We have to be able to research and find 
the right people. We, we should be able to find relevant information about those people to ensure that if we have a conversation, we're able to speak intelligently to potentially the problems they have and maybe how we can help them. You know, that's all basic stuff, but the work to get there uh, shouldn't be on the shoulders of somebody who's responsible for driving sales, right? Sales, they should be having conversations uh, or, you know, moving conversations to next conversations, but it's all moving the deal forward. It's not doing all that manual data entry research um, activities just to get to the next phase. Those are all things that should be eliminated. And so at connect and sell, you know, softball question here, we have a system that completely eliminates all of the waste and the frustration that keeps great salespeople from being able to use the phone effectively. You know, instead of picking up the phone, dialing 20 numbers, going to an IVR, uh, getting to a voicemail, talking to an operator, getting to a voicemail, shoot, maybe even I'm lucky enough to have a direct num number, still going to go to a voicemail 95% of the time, takes 20 dials to get to one conversation, sometimes worse. That could take an hour, an hour and a half, right? Connect and sell, you load a list, click a button and have a conversation every four or five minutes. So That's what have you seen? Obviously, I worked for Connected Cell for three and a half years as the VP of Sales and Marketing. So huge fan, loved the company, loved the technology. The challenge that I saw back then, this was three or four years ago, is that companies had all the money in the world and they said, hey, we're funded. We've got, we just got $18 million Series B round. My goal is to be a director of the department and I need to grow to 20 people. And so yep. traditionally, they were incentivized to grow the people and the team rather than focusing on the end result, which is pipeline, meetings, pipeline, and bookings. What mm -hmm. I think's changed and where the market now has met with Connect and Sell, and I think when Sean founded the company 10 or 12 years ago, and when Chris joined six or eight years ago, maybe nine now, um, I think they saw this vision and, and now it actually does matter to be able to have more conversations in a shorter period of time. Um, would you agree with that? The market's changed and I have to believe your phone's just lighting up off the hook these days. Well, I, yeah, I mean, I think, I think that the, the, the resources to get the conversations has changed, right? So the, that sales director who's funded in a nice market with headcount, like they're bringing headcount to, to, to run the same funnel meth that you just talked about this body can produce X amount of meetings, opportunities, revenue, or multiple bodies, right, with specialization. Um, but, you know, that math doesn't really work, you know, and, and revenue goals are still, you know, if you're a funded company now, you still have aggressive growth goals. Otherwise, you're going to be out of business, right? Most of, those, most of those organizations getting through the early stages require growth in order to get to a next phase. They're not profitable, and if they're not hitting those growth goals, they're out of business. So that shift is absolutely there. So how do we do more with less? Yes. And, uh, and that's the conversation that we're all going to be having, which is why, you know, AI is really important when you think about it, those, the way you've talked about it, those threes, because it doesn't have to be artificial intelligence, machine learning. When we talk about this, it's how do we make the current people we have produce at more than one? You know, how do we turn Chad into three chads? Yeah, like that's the that's the that's the equation that we're uh, yes. trying to solve for. That, I mean, that's exactly the premise of the book, right? It's how do I put on this Iron Man infrastructure so that instead of me building a six hundred thousand dollars that I normally would do in revenue, 
Now I can do 1.2 or, or even 1.8. It's not a 5% gain across the board for That's your right. A players. It's a two or a three X, right? That's right. Maybe in your B players, it's a 30 to 50% increase and your C players, guess what? You, you probably don't need those folks anymore. Yeah. They're probably not around. They're probably just, not around. So, yeah. all right. I'd love to get to dig in and get the audience to know who is, Ryan, uh, how'd you get into this kind of work, right? Was this always your passion or how'd you get here? Yeah, it's so interesting. So uh, the, the short answer is, you know, most, like most salespeople, I, I stumbled into it. You know, I, uh, I grew up in um, Spokane, Washington, pretty, pretty poor area of Spokane. And I um, uh, stumbled my way into college, first person in my family to go to college uh, and I studied math and engineering. I was an athlete like you, Chad, I didn't play in college, but it was a three sport, you know, letter winner in high school, uh, you know, very, very active in sports, very active in a lot of things. And, uh, I thought I'd be a coach and I was good at math. So I'd go teach math. Uh, and that's what I did in college. Um, when I graduated, I graduated in the, the last most amazing time to, you know, start a career, which was 2008, um, right. At the heart of the, uh, the 2009 recession, um, when I went back home to do my student teaching, I was in a place where I was like, ah, you know, this is probably not gonna work out. A lot of my friends were either like on drugs or in jail, getting in fights. I was like, ah, it's probably not a good thing. And a couple of my friends from college had internships in San Francisco. I'd never been to San Francisco. So I went and visited them in the summer and there was Porsches driving around like they were Honda Accords in Spokane. I was like, huh, hmm. this is, this is a place that seems like it'd be, uh, desirable. Maybe there's an opportunity here. So I, I literally went home, called school, said, hey, I'm not going to do that student teaching thing. Thanks for my degree, but I'm going to go try something else. Uh, I thought I'd come back to it if things changed, but uh, packed my stuff, sold everything that didn't fit into my 86 Toyota 4Runner, drove to San Francisco, and jumped on Craigslist looking for sales jobs. And, um, and that's how I jumped into it, right? It took me about three months to get a job. Uh, finally got a job. And... Uh, uh, you know, when I was working at that very first job in sales, uh, learned Salesforce, started ramping up, started to have a little bit of success about six weeks into it. Uh, the, this was a $50 million back startup and, uh, it's backed by AIG. We're selling a home refinance product and government pulled the funding. If you remember all that AIG was a big part of that. Whoa, Our entire company, I mean, two people affected by AIG pull of funding now. Yeah. Yeah, whole company laid off overnight and it was doing well, right? It was doing really well. There's actually a version of this now that's, we'll see how it does again, but it was doing really well. Um, the uh, overnight lost job. However, now world's burning. It's now the real heart of the recession. I had sales experience. I knew tools, CRM, uh, Salesforce. I had a referral, um, you know, from my boss. Uh, in the next week, literally the next week, I had three job offers. And so that's when I really, really fell in love with the line of business of sales. Because, you know, if, if you read folks like Mark Cuban, et cetera, when you know sales, you, you'll always have a job. And so I really fell in love with, um, with sales. And, you know, because I studied math, I, um, I stumbled into pay-per-click advertising as the next company I started with. And that was kind of a lucky thing to get into. And, you know, it's, it's all math, it's digital advertising. And that's where I really, really started to gain a passion for you know, the marketing side of sales. And so I've grown my career in ad tech, MarTech, and then now over the last several years, started a couple of companies around sales development. 
um, with this emergence of sales and marketing. So that's, that's awesome. really how I, that's how I got started. You know, my CMO right now is running some ads and I've, I've always dabbled in it, but never became an expert. And on the back end of Facebook now, you can say age group, male, female, uh, likes Elon Musk page, follows Salesforce. So you can do and, and, and to about six or eight levels deep. And so he said, Chad, I've got you 16 A leads in two days. And I was like, well, how do you know they're an A lead? You know, send me over the file. Let me, let me look them up and where they work and everything. And he's so sure. He's like, Chad, I already know the demographics. Perfect. They're a Salesforce user. They're 40 to 64. He's like, you told me your exact right market and I'm hitting those folks on Facebook. So it's, it's opposite of the way I would think, right? Let me go pull a list. Let me do it on, uh, you know, let me pull the list of the company with the right title. And we're, we're doing that too. But in parallel, we're starting to bring in the marketing smarts. And that's where I think this whole marketing plus sales coming together with which line of the T-chart should own which part of it. I, I don't know how to run all that level of intricacy and targeting, but Nick does. <laughs> That's why we work so well together, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. We talked about college. Um, take me back even earlier. So you're in Spokane. You said you lived on the wrong side of the tracks. Um, oh, yeah. What was it that, that got you, you know, what sparked you? Because you said you were first in college. Like, what was that? What, what really caused you to go, go to college? Yeah. So, so my, my parents are both janitors. Uh, neither of them graduated even high school. Uh, I think my mom has like a GED, but, uh, um, uh, so my brother, my brother and sister, a couple times felons, uh, a lot of drugs, a lot of assault stuff. That's kind of my, my, I was the youngest in the family. So growing up, I, I never really wanted to be involved in, you know, anything that was happening with them was just always drama. Um, from a very young age, I was, uh, in sports or orchestra, like I played the string break bass in fourth grade, a choir, uh, ASB. Uh, I mean, anything I could do that kept me busy, I would do. And so I um, uh, really fell in love with, with athletics and then, you know, just being involved and, and trying to get to know as many people as possible uh, was kind of my thing, right? Like I, I'm known as the, from a, from a very young age, like, like, I could fit in with all the groups, right? Like I could be the jock, I could be the, 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 the choir guy, the, I could be the, you know, whatever I needed to be, I was kind of like a chameleon, if you will. And, um, you know, I've, I've always been drawn to things that are challenging. Um, I like to solve problems. I think that's why the math part came in. Um, you know, from a young age, I wasn't very good. Again, growing up in a rougher family, uh, still struggle with this a bit is uh grammar and, and proper english you just you just you use the wrong words all the time because of the way they speak right things like uh, i don't i used to do it a lot more but um it's just the, the different words you would use uh that are just not proper sure. uh and uh and so i, I struggled with with and, and reading wasn't a big thing right um love to read now but back then it just wasn't a thing in the family so but math came easy to me. I was always kind of accelerated in math. I was like a couple of years ahead uh, of my class. Like in uh, middle school, I would actually go to the high school to take my classes uh, midday, like that type of advancement in, in the math side. But I always struggled with the, you know, the grammar and all that other stuff. And so um, solving problems and really getting into the idea that um, there's a lot of different ways that you can approach a situation. And um, 
you know, process usually kind of drives results. And, you know, if you, you, you get into this kind of like optimization idea of how quickly can you solve something, right? In math, you learn long division and then there's like shortcuts and then eventually you find a calculator, right? Like that whole idea of, um, you know, learning the big picture and then trying to optimize that over time was really, really, really uh, interesting to me. Um, and, uh, and I apply that to a lot of areas of my life. Um, and I also always was trying to, you know, make my own way. Right. So I had jobs as early as I could, right. Doing digging ditches, putting in sprinkler systems. Uh, I worked at this place called the ecology youth Corps, where I, uh, picked up trash on the side of the highway in the summer. Like I wasn't old enough to actually get paid, but this job would pay you for some reason. So, you know, I did those types of things all the time. Right. So just really, really active and, opened up a lot of different experiences for me to meet new people, try new things, figure out how things are done. And I think always learn something. I like to learn. Like that was, those are the things that I, I, um, I really were yeah, strong. Yeah. I love it. I mean, what I've learned over talking to probably 50 people in sessions like this is that a lot of times when you're five, six years old, you're unfiltered by the world. And that's when you kind of form opinions about what it is you should be doing, right? That's when your passion develops. Then the world directs you to certain places. So you get into school, you do math because you're like, oh, I like math. That must be where I'm naturally meant to be. And, and you, if you can go back to when you're a kid and go, what was it that got me here? That actually, no matter if it's a great childhood or you've had some tough times, it becomes the superpower in your life. And when you can connect those dots, it, it just lights a fire and, and you can go do anything you want in life. So that's yeah, I, I can't, I can't, I can't agree with that enough. Right. And, and, you know, I was lucky because uh, while my family had its challenges, they were still supportive of me, you know, like my, my brother and sister was like, don't be like me. And my, you know, although my parents had their own issues, they, they didn't really, um, they didn't, I didn't have the negative side of that. Right. It's not like I also was like, beat or something, you know, so I was, I was lucky enough to, you know, it was rough around the edges, but I, I didn't have it really terrible. So the support, if you want to call it, that was, was there. Um, and then of course, being involved in so many other things, you get, you get excited, right? The teacher that says, Hey, Ryan, you're really good at math. You should try this special class. Like all of a sudden, you, you know, sure. you're super excited about math and like those little things that, you know, other people may have been discouraged about, they really do give you that momentum to to kind of pursue things that, um, that you may not have uh, thought about before. Yeah. Well, that's cool. And I got to tell you when Ryan was at Zen prospect, which is now Apollo, I remember having sales conversations and you were exactly what you just described. You said, Chad, look, you're the VP of this company. And, um, look, you don't have to buy from me. I'm willing to do whatever it takes. I know you're an influencer in the industry. I just want to help you. And you worked with me for three, four months of back and forth. I went to the CEO, the CMO. You gave me everything I needed. And as a result of that three to four months, I connected with you in a way that was, you know, we're still friends. If I see you at a trade show, like I felt you gave me so much business value that I can carry into what I'm even doing today. And I think a lot of salespeople need to remember that, right? Use your superpowers that you've, that you developed when you were younger, solve the business problems, people will remember that, right? And that's how you be the CEO of your own territory. Solve problems. Mm -hmm. That's right. Solve problem or go away. Uh, Chad, I'm glad you brought that up, man. I, I, I think that experience was great. And you gave me a lot of confidence in, in the, uh, the idea because you do get drawn back, you know, when you, when you are somebody in sales where you're, you get pressure to hit your number every time. Sometimes you get to this position where you're like, well, man, maybe I should just 
not waste my time on something like that. There's a time waster. But I personally have always had the mindset of, look, if I can help you, I will try to help you. And I know that can get you into some trouble. You got to know when to say no. But honestly, I don't know what that looks like yet. And I just kind of keep moving up, you know, so I appreciate that you brought that up because I think, you know, it does, goes a long way that we can always look at each other in the eye and say, Hey, look, uh, we have, we have mutual respect yeah, for one you another. You helped me. And it's like, dude, I, you gave me three months of your life with, you know, several hours here and there. And guess what? I didn't buy, but guess what? We're going to work together in this time around. And that three month sales cycle from three years ago, will probably lead to a lot of uh, a lot of nice commercials between working with us together. So it's pretty exciting. All right. Well, speaking of that, we've talked about AI and, and we don't want to over hype it, right? How much AI is really in the back end of a tool like Connect and Sell? Well, there's some. They know time of day to call. They know that on a Tuesday versus a Thursday, your dials are up and they can give you some pretty interesting information. But at the end of the day, they can also help you do what we see on the screen here. So why don't you describe for us what this is at a high level? And then let's just click dial. I've got something queued up. We're going to give the audience a gift today. and We're going to show them a few live fire conversation here. So what is all these, what do all these numbers mean? Yeah. So if you look at this little spreadsheet here, this is this, if you look on the left side, manual dials, this may be uh, a month's worth of work for a, a standard sales development rep or an AE maybe. Right. Uh, you know, 449 dials. Like I, I, I think that everyone tries to target like 40 or, or 50 dials a day. So you, your goal is 800 to a thousand, but that's probably what you actually do. Right. Yeah. That dial to connect rate is pretty high on this, this chart here. So they must be targeting some SMBs, but 42 conversations out of those dials uh, that led to five meetings, got a couple of referrals. And um, at the end of the day, that cost per dial was sitting at, you know, $7, 48 cents. With Connect and Sell, this would be the same month, same rep, same amount of time, same rep, same amount of time. Instead of doing 449 dials, you could do 5,670. That sounds crazy, but it's not. I, I try to target about 5,000 dials as an SD at Connect and Sell every month. Sometimes it's a little bit lower if I'm too busy, but that's 250 dials a day. No problem. Why? We can do about 150 human navigated dials per hour, right? And that leads to the same math, it's no, there's no magic behind that. It's the same amount of math if you run through this, right? The conversations, the meetings that come from those conversations, you're basically doing 10X the amount of activity or output as you flow through the funnel. What that means is you can reduce the cost of a conversation, of a dial, of a meeting by about, on average, around 85%. This, this math here is 88, and you can see the variance, of course, because you know, we're all humans and things differ by time and week, but that's what it's all about, right? You click a button and you can have a conversation every four or five minutes on average. And maybe, maybe, uh, Chad, we can see if that's live here. Yeah. Well, hey, let's, um, I just happen to have a, a little screen share here that's already dialed in and, uh, I'm just going to hit go button. I think I've got yeah, my greetings turned on. I'm not leaving voicemails, but, uh, let's just hit go here and see what happens. We're going to have some fun. I'll put it on mute since we have a greeting. That way we can talk until we get a connection. So imagine you're sending emails on one screen right now and you're doing your LinkedIn and you're minding your own business. And within usually just uh, less than 30 to 60 seconds on this list, it's going to beep and I'm going to be talking to one of these executives. The last time I did this in a live fire demo, we did four conversations. Oh, there's one. Hold, please. 
Did I reach it in okay time? Um, <clears throat> trying to inhale this PBJ before. <laughs> I love it. What's going on, Robert? We talked a while ago. I think you were on paternity leave, in fact. And uh, I suspect that's um, you're now a proud dad because that was a year ago in October or so. Is that about right? Or maybe it was even January. That is accurate. Outstanding. Well, you know, I practice follow-up. I'm the CEO of ScaleX. We do uh, data digital dials, and we help organizations like yours to reach their marketplace 10 to 20 times more effectively than they would using manual people dialing on telephones. Um, I'm wondering at, at iMerit, you're still at iMerit, I assume, right? I am. Okay. You never know these days with uh, everything going on, so... Um, it's, uh, yeah, probably one in eight calls, you know, they say, Hey, I'm, I'm looking for something or I landed somewhere else. So, uh, knock on wood, I think we'll be out of the, it looks like the V curve is, is on the way back up. So things could be yeah. looking good, but, um, but yeah, I know I caught you out of the blue here. I'd love to get 15 minutes on your calendar and, you know, we, we do social automation that helps you book, uh, you know, meetings. We do phone automation that helps you get meetings. And then we have a whole outsourced team uh, that does BDR development. So I'd love to get a, a few minutes and just discover a little more of, of where we might be able to work together. Okay. When you say social, uh, what do you mean? Yeah. So obviously most companies these days have LinkedIn Navigator and they might do a few connections here or there with their ideal customer profile our technology will let you go in and say, let me go find the top 2,500 CEOs in America and let me build a message to connect with them. And then once they connect, I'm going to, I'm going to send them two or three other pieces of information. Uh, you don't want to snap connect and then say, can we have a meeting or get a coffee? There's certain ways you do that effectively, but we can help you, you know, really automate the introduction to hundreds, thousands of your best prospects and, meetings show up on your calendar or, or your sales team's calendar. Yeah, that obviously sounds nice. Um, and it's not yeah, too good to be true. Uh, We've got 150 clients in two and a half years, so <laughs> and it doesn't break the bank. So uh, yeah, I, I've got your email as robert at imerit.net. Yeah. Perfect. I'll, uh, I'll send you my Calendly link and then if you want to pick something for next week, that'd be awesome. Perfect. All right, thanks for taking the call, Robert. Yeah, of course. Have a good one. All right. You too. Bye. Bye. I don't know. It seems way too easy, man. People don't pick up their phones. You got to be kidding me about this stuff. <laughs> so you made, you made it too, look, look too good to be true. I like your assumptive close there, Chad. You know, instead of booking it, it's like, hey, you know what? I'll leave it up to you. I'm going to send you my link. If you want to book it, we'll make it, we'll make it happen. Um, you know, this, this, uh, conversation by the way the the felt teleprompter follow-up just so money right so you know the first conversation is always the hardest and most people fear that they need to have all this information about people and be perfect on that first delivery there's a good chance that you're going to catch people they're running out to paternity leave and now's not a good time so you jot it in that note and you follow it up and who knows? We'll see what happens there. But uh, great call, man. That was awesome. Yeah. Hey, that was fun. I'm glad, I'm glad, <laughs> I'm glad it, it landed on the right side of the fence. You know, when I made, I made the bold statement that three out of four in my last session were good, 
now I've got an audience with Ryan here and I can't mess this up. So once <laughs> Ryan challenged me to a duel and he said, hey, let's see who can book more meetings in a day. So I shared my screen. When are you going to share yours? <laughs> oh, I, I, if I was pre-prepped for this on my side, I know we're running low on time. I would, I would have gone at you. I would have gone at you. <laughs> Good, the I don't, I don't have a strong of a powerful uh, follow-up list started yet, though, uh, you know, on my side. That was like, you have like 340, 341 strong follow-ups there. That was, it's uh, impressive. Check. That's, well, Sorry. and let's talk about that. So he, check this out. When you cold call someone, whether you're doing manual dials or, or dialer like Connect and Sell, the typical conversion rate is 2 to 5%. So that means yep. you got to talk to 20 people to book a meeting. And so most marketers, CROs, CEOs say, holy cow, one for 20. They must be terrible salespeople. No, yeah. actually, they're pretty good. Where the mm -hmm. math comes in is, and this is where Ryan and I, I was also a couple of grades ahead in math. My son's a couple of grades and my daughter's ahead, a couple of grades ahead. Um, the math is when you cold call someone, this person gave me the time, but he was like, look, I'm busy. I'm on paternity leave. When I call him the next time, that list of 394 some odd people, I've already had this paternity conversation with him back in October and then again in January. Actually, see, he was playing golf on the best damn municipal course in the country the first time. Then he was on paternity leave. Now third time's a charm. Guess what? Most salespeople call. They don't talk to anybody with one attempt and they downgrade the lead. We've talked to this person three times over a probably 40 dials. And guess what? This is probably going to turn into at least a $6,000 deal, more likely a $75,000 deal. So the math is in the follow-ups. Oh, it's all about the follow-ups. And the conversion rates on that follow-up list, Chad, you know, are usually about four or 500% of whatever your average is, right? So if you're booking, you know, if you're booking 2%, you know, you're going to get up to eight, maybe 10% conversion rate. If you're booking at 5%, you're, you're thinking about, you know, 20 to 25% conversion on your follow-ups, right? Conversion being they're willing to take that meeting. And that math is consistent. As long as you're doing a good job, as we started this whole conversation around targeting the right people, you know, again, the timing isn't quite there yet, but look, this is a, I'm imagining a sales leader or a CEO, you didn't have your title in there, but, um, that that's the people that you want to talk to um, and you're going to just drip on them until the time's right because the targeting's there. You know you have a solution that potentially solves a problem for them and now it's all about trying to get that timing right to open up and have the, that The other thing that's important to think about from a voice drip versus email drip, think, think about RingCentral. They've been around maybe 10 or 12 years. They just went public a couple years ago. Zoom just went public. Well, guess what? That means they've had five BDRs that's covered a specific territory, two or three enterprise reps. And guess what each rep does? They come in and they build a cadence or a sequence and they hit send all. And they do it again and again and again. And when those waves beat down on those poor VPs, time in and time out, their list shrinks from 100% down by 4% every email blast. So just do the math on that. 12 years times... 10 salespeople, it's down to the nub. You've got 14% of your audience that will even allow you to email them. Most marketers I've found make the mistake of saying, well, if they're opted out of our email, then we're not going to call them. Yeah. Well, wait yep. a second. They didn't opt out of your phone call. They just opted out of your email communications. 
So if, if you learn nothing else from this conversation, if you can do a voice drip system the same way you do an email drip system, you're going to maybe five to 10 X the number of possible people that can be in your market. Crazy. And that's what we like to call market domination. <laughs> I love it. Well, Hey, this has been really fun. This will be broadcast on the AI for sales podcast and the sales expert channel. Uh, Ryan, man, you're welcome to, uh, to the show anytime. And I can't wait to partner with you because you know, we'll bring the digital aspect. You bring the dialer aspect and, and let's go help companies dominate their markets. Absolutely, Chad. Thanks for having me, man. Uh, right. Definitely bring right. me back. If, if I'm welcome, I'll, I'll, I'll come, man. I think Thanks we need to do the battle today. of the bands is our next situation. So next call, you know, we'll, we'll do get your list up to 394 once you've, you know, matured to a list of 400 or so. You can bring 100. That'll be okay. Uh, and let's go see who can book the most meetings in, a, in an hour-long call session. I'm more interested in the cold list. Let's see who can let's see who can take ah. those hard ones and convert, uh, brother. See, I, I like to go against the uh, I like to cheat. If you're not cheating, you're not trying. But I, I can, <laughs> I'm, I'm calloused when it comes to cold. <laughs> let's see how you perform with no uh, teleprompter. That's what right. All right, everybody. Thanks for joining. We are out. <laughs>